Hi everybody, I'm Bill Moran, coming from the Village Senior Living Community right here in Northridge, California. And you're listening to the Golden Mike Experience, where age isn't just a number, it's everything. I'm 82 years young, and in my lifetime, I've interviewed some of the biggest legends. And our next guest is no exception. She shattered the glass ceiling in 1962, when she became the first woman to walk the New York Stock Exchange. Please welcome SRG resident and pioneer, 92 years old. 90, 90. Don't make me two years old. Norman Yeager <laughs> to the show. You, you want me to take that out? I don't care about the age. I don't want it to be the wrong age. Well, Norma, welcome. And before we talk about the, the stock exchange, why don't, we, uh, why don't we look at you as a woman growing up? What was your, what was your life like? I was a first generation of immigrants and um, I went to one of the local public schools, I went to the local high school, and of course, I went into City College of New York, and uh, which most of the Brooklyn people went to. Yeah. And um, uh, at that point, I was a good student. I did well. I loved dancing. I took, uh, I had a scholarship at Carnegie Hall. A scholarship at Carnegie Hall? Yeah, for dancing. I, mm -hmm. I really thought I'd become a dancer. Yeah. But of course, that uh, when I started college, I realized that I was very good in accounting and numbers, and so I really didn't think in terms of a career, but at a young age I got married and, um, and started a family. How old were you when you got married? I was uh, 20, I think, 1920, something like that. You know, in, in those days, if you weren't married, by the time you left high school, you were an old maid. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's a lot different today, it's, though, it's isn't it? It's a lot it? different today, yes, yeah. it is. You challenged your father. I did. And tell us how you did it. Because well, you he because you turned him around, didn't you? Didn't you? I never turned him around. He, but, but, he, <laughs> but you became him in a way, didn't you? I did. Yes. Yeah. I did. My father was a, a successful businessman and good at it. And uh, but he was from the old school. Girls stayed at home. They were not to go away to college or anything like that. And uh, uh, when I was about 18 years old, the end of uh, high school, a girlfriend and I decided we were going to go to the University of Wisconsin for a summer session. Mm -hmm. Oh, when he heard that, he was furious. <laughs> was he? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You can't, cannot do that. Girls stay at home. You know, the uh, Europeans felt the girls, until they got married, stay at home. And I said, no, well, I'm going. And, and my mother, who was a little bit subservient, said to me, privately, she said, if you could go, go. <laughs> <laughs> Behind his back. <laughs> yeah. So my mother really encouraged me a bit. And so I started babysitting to get the money together because he certainly wasn't going to foot the bill. Mm -hmm. And I was able to go to the University of Wisconsin for a summer session in which I loved. You know, I met some wonderful people. I uh, stopped in Chicago and spent the weekend with one of the girls from the university. She lived there on the way back. And we had a wonderful, wonderful summer. And that, of course, encouraged me to step out of the family. However, my father, for one year, didn't speak to me. <laughs> he probably thought I was a trollop or something. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I had a hard time with him. He was very, very old-fashioned. 
girls were not. They belonged in the house. Well, you know, yeah. the, the Europeans found yeah. girls belonged in the home. Yes, mm -hmm. they were homemakers. They were raising children and so on. And of course, um, when I got married, I had the same intent to uh, stay home and raise my family. However, um, we had a, a experience where I moved to the Catskill Mountains because my husband decided to change his career and uh, that did not pan out, so I had to move back to New York. And by that time, we were in financial straits, and I had to think about what we were going to do to bring money into the family. And so I went ahead and uh, um, joined a trading program at one of the major firms, not knowing there were no female stockbrokers. No one told me there were no women there. So after uh, interviewing, and uh, psychological train. Uh, uh, we had psychological tests to see if I had an aptitude for that kind of a, a job. Psychological tests. Oh yes, three wow. days of psychological testing. It was incredible. They were very cautious because they spend a lot of money to train you, and they, if you didn't have an aptitude for this business, they didn't want to do that. So after the interviews with the managers, I had to uh, go for these three tests, these three days of testing. And uh, they called me into the office after the test and said, you know, you did very well on the test. And we were thinking of hiring you, although we never hired a woman before and we have no idea what to pay you. I said, well, why is that a problem? You're paying, you have a whole class of, of students. Why, what are you paying them? Oh, well, you know, they're all men and they have families. They have to go, you know, as, the as usual you story. Have family. <laughs> yeah. They have families. I said, well, I said, I have the same expenses of going to work and getting a wardrobe. I said, but I have an additional expense. And he said, what's that? <laughs> he said, I said, I have to hire a wife. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he said, I never thought of that. He says, you got it. And so I thought it's just with the same salary as the men were getting, which was incredible because that, at that time was a lot of money. So it brought money into the household. <laughs> but of course, my husband was upset. Now I castrated him. He said, you know, how could you be making more money than I'm making? So it was a difficult time, and of course, it wasn't good for the marriage. It wasn't, uh, uh, it, it was good for me, but not for him. And eventually led to my divorce. Well, you know, Norma, I think it'd be fun to take you back, to take all of us back to the 60s, which was a very powerful time for women's liberation. Or was it? Not in my time. It didn't become... Women were not considered first-class citizens in the business world. Uh, we couldn't have bank accounts. We couldn't have checkbooks. We couldn't have um, credit cards. We couldn't have anything without our husband's permission. And if you were a single woman, you even had two strikes against you because he didn't have a husband to sign on these dotted lines for you. So women were second class citizens in the 60s. And that's why they fought so hard 
to get women's rights because you really could not do anything. I mean, you couldn't be an independent person. And that was difficult. I couldn't open an account in my own company without my husband signing. And of wow. course, I wouldn't ask him to sign because he was not in favor of my working period. And so it was a very difficult time. I had to get private permission from the managers to be able to open an account for myself. When I went to the bank and I wanted to take out a loan, a small loan, so I could get some new clothes for working, the manager says, well, where's your husband? I said, well, I said, I'm taking out the loan, not my husband. Well, we don't allow that. I said, look, I have a job, I'm earning money, and if you'd like, call my boss and verify that I am have a salary. So he did. He called, and of course they verified it, and he gave me a small loan so I could go out and buy myself new outfits because who had the kind of money that you needed to get? And I got dress uh, outfits. I had to look like I was worth a million dollars because I was selling stock <laughs> that were high-priced things. You can't be a... Uh, what they call a schlepper, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and earn and, and try to call somebody to buy, you know, a thousand shares of something that probably was in the excess of, uh, you know, hundred thousand dollars. And so, I I went out and I bought outfits with fur trim, and alligator shoes and the you know, alligator bag. And so they and I wore the hat, yeah, in the office so they could separate me from the secretary. So when a, a man came in to sit down and look at the, at the time we had oh uh, my God. A street level, <laughs> a street level yeah. uh, stores where you could see the ticker tapes <laughs> and the men would come in the back and sit there to watch. I had to look different than the secretary because I needed that client that was walking in too. And uh, so they used to call me the hat lady. <laughs> and I would wear a big brooch. So I would separate myself with my clothes and, and my, my stature in order to look like I, I could sell a billion dollars worth of stock. And so, you know, it was a difficult time, but you had to put on, you have to dress for the job. That was the important thing. And that's true today and any day, you dress for your job. As a matter of fact, I told you, I called Ed and I said, how, 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 what kind of dress should I wear? You have to dress for the occasion. And if you don't, you're going to miss the boat. And so wherever I went, I looked important. I went home and put on a house dress, but at home, yeah. but not on the job, I was dressed for the job. And, and that loan did me a world of good because I was able to pay for it. Well, Norma didn't just survive in a man's world, she thrived. And when we come back, her tips for success. Stay around, folks. A true trailblazer in American history, Norma Yeager was one of the first women to step foot into the male-dominated world of finance. Well, let's go back now to the male peers that you were surrounded with. Mm -hmm. How did they treat you? 
Well, in the training program, poorly, because I was really competition, and they were upset. They, would, they kept saying to me, why are you taking the spot of a man? He has to support a family. I said, well, I'm not here for fun. I'm here to earn a living. And so I had to defend myself all the time. They were not very kind. Um, my, my instructor, however, was wonderful. He really made it possible for me to be comfortable. He didn't allow them to harass me too much. <clears throat> uh, we had speakers that we had to attend at some of these big male uh, clubs that they had for men only. And um, they did not want to permit me into the dining room with the rest of the class because they didn't permit females. And so um, they wanted me to stay home that day. And I said, no way. Oh my God, no you're way. kidding. I said, I'm here to learn the way you mm -hmm. are. And I'm, you're going to have to go where I go. So they put us in the ladies' dining room, which they had on the side. Mm -hmm. And of course, they were furious about that. I didn't get too many applause for my standing up for myself, but they had to sit where I was going to go. I was not going to stay home. I was there to do my job. And, um, and so that was a negative. Uh, it was very difficult to get into those clubs. They were really men only. Today, they are co-ed. So women have come a long way. Same I guess so. Going back then too, uh, so much of the business was conducted on the golf courses, weren't they? And you were Absolutely not allowed there. No, the women were not allowed on the golf courses. It was a difficult time for women, and those that that lived within it did all right. Those that didn't, like myself, or some of the women that entered into the uh, uh, magazine field, you know, the uh, cosmetic field, they did okay too. But that was strictly a woman's business. They went into that and was successful with women. But as far as going into the male world, they, women were not accepted. So they, they really underestimated you, didn't they? Yes, they did. And, um, and I became quite successful at it. Uh, eventually, they invited me to join the management uh, team of the uh, company. And uh, that was a big success for me because they invited me into the, the major uh, part of the company in the management uh, team. You know, Norma, looking back on the 60s, I want to get a, a feel from you what it felt like when you stepped on the, on the steps of the New York Stock Exchange. What did it feel like? Scary. They made history there. <laughs> Scary. I was um, a young woman. I knew I was walking into a uh, completely male domain, and I was told not to go be, uh, to go before the market opened, so that I wouldn't disturb the men oh. and take their concentration off. You know, <laughs> I was an attractive young woman. Yeah, you sure were. You sure were. <laughs> so um, I had to go in first, and my company had what they call a booth. They have their section. I had to go to the booth and stay there. I wasn't allowed to walk around. It would be too distracting to the men. They were, you know, you know what happens on the floor. Everybody's yelling and screaming. Yeah. And of course, the language was not very nice. It was difficult. But, you know, you put on your earmuffs and you listen. <laughs> and um, it, it, it was difficult. And if I had to use the restroom, which was, there had no restrooms for ladies. I had to have one of my 
uh, uh, people from my booth to walk to me to the bathroom. No restrooms for no ladies. No restrooms for ladies. You had to go up to the third floor, but if you're in that on the floor of the New York Stock, there were no ladies' rooms. It was a male. It was a male uh, occupied uh, profession, and uh, they had to watch if I had to use it. I tried not to use the bathrooms at all. Go up to the third floor if I needed to, but not on the floor of the exchange. You could not do that. And so I had to leave after the market closed again and leave that way. And so it, it, was, it was an uncomfortable feeling, as, as you can imagine, to walk into this ocean of men, <laughs> ocean of men. There were so many and different booths and different screaming. And you know, today everything is computerized. You don't have the same activity as they had at that time. At that time, everything was hand hand on papers and things all over the floor and, and screaming at each other. I mean, that was the market. And, but a very exciting market, I have to tell you. And we had what they called the, uh, uh, the market makers who had their books of, of making the trades. It was a whole different world at Yeah, well, the computers changed Wall Street. You know, computers changed Wall Street, absolutely. At that time, there were no computers. And so we used to do everything by the book. And it was an exciting world. I mean, I think back is wow, <laughs> very exciting. It's so interesting uh, as we look <clears throat> as we look at today uh, with CNBC, and you take a look at CNBC in New York, all the females that are involved in covering finance and covering Wall Street. There were nobody there at yeah. my time. There were no females. Period. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And look at look at it now. Well, I think I I think I broke that ceiling. I think I. I know you made did. it happen. Yes, I feel that. Today, there are so many women that are CEOs of companies now. Yes, yes, yes. Well, back back in those days, uh, men didn't think that women had a place in the workplace, and one of those men was your husband. We'll talk about that when we return. Hi, I'm Bill Moran, host of the Golden Mike Experience, and I want to tell you about The Village, the senior living community where we record our podcast. This place, I can tell you, is gorgeous and it gives its residents a sophisticated blend of comfort, style, endless social opportunities, and an impressive array of recreational and wellness programs. You know what? It's like a resort here. 12-hour restaurant dining, a fully equipped fitness center, heated swimming pool, a theater, internet, lounge, arts and crafts room, I'm Bill Moran. Thanks for listening. Be cool and be healthy. You know, Norma, there's a Frank Sinatra song. Mm -hmm. Love and marriage, 
Love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage. Not all the time. <laughs> Not all the time, right? No. Talking about marriage, you, the conflict with your first husband. Yes. The tension, you with a career, and he not liking it. Fill me in. Well, firstly, it upset him that I was earning money. It upset him that I was leaving the children with housekeepers. That bothered him. But most of all, it bothered him that it made him feel small. Yeah. And that was a shame. That's tough. That was a shame. It was hard for me to overcome that. But I was out to, to do what I wanted to do because not only did I start to earn money, but I was enjoying my job. It was something that I began to love. And that was my life. And I had to do what was good for me. It was selfish, but it had to be something that I, I pursued. And um, as I look back, it was very enjoyable for me. It was a hard work, but success is fun. <laughs> but you also had to support all the children. How many children did you have that you had to support? Well, I have three natural children. Mm -hmm. And uh, my second marriage, I picked up two more. So altogether, at the end, it was five children. But basically, when I was married to my first husband, it was my three children. Uh, I had two sons and a daughter. And when I went to work, my two sons I had to put into boarding school because they had no way to take care of them. Um, and they needed the schooling and they needed the discipline, <clears throat> which I was not able to do for them. And so I did enroll them in boarding school, and which they resented. <laughs> so you can't win. And my daughter was with me, and, uh, and uh, she was a little baby at the time. She was about uh, two, three years old. And so I had to get in help to take care of her. Um, but I, I went, got up every morning and went to work and made sure that I did a good job at it. Uh, once I was there, I forgot everything at home. Yeah. Home was over. <laughs> no, it was a, my first job was over. Um, and until I got back, but I did get back to make dinner for them. I did get back to have the uh, the, the job of a housewife. Yeah, after tough. all, it was a tough time for you. Yes, it was very it was difficult. Very Your second husband is a totally different ball game. Yes, yes. Well, second husband um, had his own career. He was a surgeon, and uh, and so he wasn't threatened by my career. He felt encouraged. He encouraged it. He was supportive of me all the way through. And the second husband brought me to California. When we got married, we moved here. And the firm transferred me to the California office. So that's how I got to California. Uh, but he was encouraging. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, he encouraged me to write my book. Mm -hmm. He encouraged me to do anything and everything I wanted to do. I used to travel to get to the different states, and if he could go with me, he did. But if he couldn't, he, you know, he sent me on my way. Yeah. And uh, and it was nice not to have to fight. He gave you home. some independence. Yeah, of course, of course he did. He I gave you a lot of independence. He respected me, and he respected my career. He thought the world of it, and so that was very important. And. Uh, 
I, I had somebody behind me who encouraged me all the way. Well, I want to, uh, I want to take you into the book and I want to have you talk about the Harry Winston story. Uh, of course, one of the most famous jewelers in the world. And I'm completely blown away by what happened. Talk about a cold call yeah. in New York. Fill me in on it. Fill well, our audience in <clears throat> During the training program, they sent us out in the neighborhood to cold call, to get the feeling of what it is to walk in cold to a store or a, uh, an office to see how you could handle opening up that, uh, that door. And so uh, I was in, uh, on Park Avenue and um, uh, Harry Winston was on Madison Avenue and as I'm walking past, I said, well, this would be a good account. And I walked in the front door, one of the gentlemen said, could they help me? And I said, yes, I'd like to speak to Harry Winston. I don't know he's not there. <laughs> I was naive. Who knew he was not there? Yeah. Well, he says, well, he doesn't come into this uh, store. He says, however, uh, what would you want to talk to him about? I said, well, I want to talk to him about his investments. I mean, that's such <laughs> his investments. And so he looks at me, he says, well, the woman upstairs is his accountant, and she handles all his investments. So here's a woman that knows the market. So he sends me, he calls upstairs and she sends me up. And of course, she was thrilled. She says, they're starting to train women stockbrokers? That's incredible. She felt very good about that. And we started talking about uh, his investments and so on. She said, I'll tell you what, I have a few companies I want you to check out. And if you hear any news on these companies, call me. And so I walked out of there and I went back to class and I said, I had an, a meeting with Harry Weston's investment person. They, my class went crazy. How did you get in there? <laughs> I said, to be honest with you, I just walked in. <laughs> I just walked in. And, uh, and I asked, if you don't ask for the order, you don't get it. Right. That's the issue. You must ask for the order. If you don't, and you don't have the courage to do that, you can't make it. Unbelievable what you did. It's I, very difficult. It's not easy. It's not easy, but you have to get... If you want to succeed, you have to say to yourself, I can't succeed until I open this door. Right. Okay, Norma, the book is called Breaking Down the Walls. Right. Tell us about it. Well, when, after I retired... And we traveled a lot with my husband. Mm -hmm. uh, we traveled the whole world, as a matter of fact. I, I've seen everything. I don't think there's anything left for me to see. Um, we, of course, retired at home and joined a club in which I, I learned to play golf and uh, enjoyed my home. And my husband says, you know, you have a wonderful career and a legacy should be left to your family. Why don't you write a book? I said, what do I know about writing a book? He said, what did you know about the stock market? You have to delve into it. And uh, I did uh, meet a, a young lady that had helped me who was, knew how to write the book. And so between us, we put together my stories. I would tell her all about what occurred during my life. And uh, we put together the book, Breaking Down the Walls. Um, which was supposed to be left for my family. But of course, when you publish something, you, you produce it, 
and um, uh, it was picked up by Barnes and Noble. It was picked up by Amazon, and um, people began to buy the book. A family began to buy the book, and so it became a, a, a successful book in that it told my story. And people were interested in it because the stock market is not something everybody is interested in. But it does bring up the story of success. It wasn't a stock market book. It said, said very little about the stock market. It was about me. It was a memoir. And so it went into that genre of being a memoir. And people were picking it up just to read how interesting it was. When we come back, Norma will share her words of wisdom as she answers your questions in our Millennial Moment. Stay tuned. Well, we're back, and it's time for our Millennial Moment, where we answer viewer questions from social media. Norma, will you stick around and help me answer some of these? Of course. Here to read off the questions is the executive director of The Village. And Norma, I have a personal question. What do you f feel prevents women from securing the most senior leadership positions? I find that most women have the difficult job of two jobs, working at the job and working at home. And some people can do both, and some becomes uh, difficult to do one or the other. And so a lot of women also have to face a bail in that job, and sometimes women take the second place, and that's also very difficult. Um, unfortunately, uh, it's still a man's world, <laughs> and, uh, and the women have to be better, much better, than the male that's trying for the same job. I had a client who said to me, he only has female, uh, female uh, people that take care of him, female doctor, female accountant. And I said, why? And he said to me, because in order to get there, they have to be better. Mm. And so that was his experience. And so he took me as his stockbroker, and I was thrilled with that, because he had to think of me as doing better than most of the men around me. And so that was a pickup that I never forgot. And that's something that also boosted me. I have to think about that all the time. You know, Norma, you've been an absolute delight and a thrill to be around you and the people who live here at the village to be able to be around you. You contribute so much. I thank you so very much on behalf of the village for being here and I wish you a very, very happy holiday season coming up. And uh, thanks for being here. Thank you, Bill. I leave you all with an inspirational quote from 98-year-old Betty White, read by our guest of honor, Norma Yeager. Butterflies are like women. We may look pretty and delicate, but baby, 
we could fly through a hurricane. Oh, that is so beautiful. And you know what? It's so very true. Well, that's it for this edition. Until next time on the Golden Mike Experience, I'm Bill Moran. Take care, everybody. Be healthy.